0: Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is not a hair shall fall. And in the uh, divine sense of humor department, we have a tornado watch here this <laughs> evening until 11 p.m. And um, so we'll, we'll see what the nature of divine protection is and is not. Uh, if this large window behind me happens to take me during this show, just know it's been a blessing to be with you and... I wish you all the very best. Um, so what is the nature of divine protection? Uh, scripture says a number of times that our hair, you know, every hair on our head is numbered, that not a hair shall fall or be lost. You know, the, the Lord is watching all of that. Uh, sometimes it goes along with the injunction that we should not be afraid and so on. And yet we can't say that our physical coiffure is all always without harm, can we? <laughs> Um, So uh, this is what we'll be exploring tonight, and I'd like to invite you to join me in an opening prayer
1: Lord
0: and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name We thank you for your divine protection over us. We pray for knowledge of your word and how it is that your providence guides us through our lives. Amen. All right. Pleasure to be with you all. Sending out love to those of you online and getting the audio and on the phone and here in this brave souls who are here in the room. Actually, it's a pretty safe, a pretty safe building, I think. Pretty well built. Uh, not a hair shall fall. Let's begin, shall we, with the book of Acts which is right to the right of the four Gospels there. I want to go to chapter 27, which was particularly what brought this uh, idea to my attention. And let's just skip to verse 34 in Acts 27. Jumping right in the middle of context here. Acts
1: 27, verse 34. And this is Paul speaking. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment... For this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you.
0: Now, interesting. So it ends by saying, not a hair shall fall from the head of any of you. We'll find out in a bit who he's talking to. But he also says, eat because this is for your survival. They're in a survival situation, and yet he's talking about not a hair on their head being Harmed, hmm, interesting. So let's back up and look a little bit in Acts 27. Uh, Oh, let's start right at the beginning of chapter 27 there in Acts.
1: And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment.
0: As you may know, it's just a fascinating story where Paul's been in prison for two years in Jerusalem, and he appealed to the emperor at Rome, and so they're sending him off to Rome, and so he's going, he's being protected, but also guarded, you know, by this centurion. Uh, There's a centurion involved and other soldiers, and so they're sailing, and it's quite late in the year. Let's, Let's read this.
1: Thank you for the background noise. That's (laughs) very effective.
0: The wind is blowing in here. I don't know if you can hear that online, but uh, go on.
1: So entering a ship of Adramitium, Mm, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus. A Macedonian, oh, a Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. Okay. Yes, that's good. Isn't Aristarchus, it? a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us.
0: Yes, okay. this, this, you're earning your, <laughs> earning your lack of pay tonight, and uh, so. And the next um, day, oh, well, sorry. yes, we, we, um, so they sailed to Alexandria. They sailed to a whole number of places. It's this chapter is one of the clearest pieces of evidence of sailing techniques in the ancient world, because it goes into great detail about how they sail and where the wind is coming from and all that. And uh, so they, they had to sail around these islands, different translations use different expressions like in the lee of them or, you know, um, and so on. And then, okay, let's look at verse 9 there.
1: Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous. Ah,
0: you see, there's a certain time of year where you're allowed to sail. And so in uh, some as early as the late September, some in the middle of October, you have to stop sailing on the Mediterranean because it gets very dangerous with the storms. And you don't resume, interestingly, until February 8th, which happens to be Swedenborg's birthday, but never mind that. Uh, Go on.
1: Sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Yes. Paul advised them.
0: And what does Paul say?
1: Saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives.
0: Whoa. Now, wait. That's at the beginning of a chapter about not a hair on your head? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And so he says he perceives this. It's a... It's foresight or something, isn't it? He he foresees that there's going to be tremendous damage and loss of lives on this, on this journey. Go on.
1: Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Mm. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in...
0: Yeah, it's getting to that time where when you're sailing around, you have to just decide, well, we're going to be here for three, four months because... Uh, you know, sailing's no good. So, but this was not a good place to winter in.
1: So the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest mm. and winter there.
0: Yes, there you go. When the so sa- they're thinking, okay, they're not in a good situation. They've got to move on to another place to, to, to winter. Uh, and then what happens?
1: When the south wind blew softly. Oh, there's this nice, soft,
0: soft breeze from the south. Okay, isn't that lovely? Wonderful. Okay.
1: Supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete.
0: Yeah, so they feel lucky. <coughs> like, oh, we got a we got a good wind. You don't usually get that this time of year, but it's nice. It's got, got a nice, gentle breeze. And then what happened?
1: But not... Long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon.
0: Yes, Euroclodon, yes. So when the ship... When you're named Euroclodon <laughs> as a wind, as winds go, you know, that's, that's, that's bad. That's a bad one.
1: eurocladon That's
0: uh, a pretty much of a nor'easter is what it is.
1: So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive.
0: Wow, okay, so they just kind of, they, they just couldn't fight the wind. So they just have to sort of let her go and just, just drift with the wind. okay.
1: And running under the shelter of an island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Mm. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, The next day they lightened the ship Mm. on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands now
0: how what situation do you need to be in i'm not familiar with sailing like when you throw the tackle overboard (laughs) i think that's a bad thing i think uh i think you're feeling pretty desperate if you feel like the tackle is interfering with your journey Just like, okay, these ropes, I don't know what they do, but let's get rid of this. You know? <laughs> Throw that overboard. Okay.
1: Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days.
0: Many days. They didn't see the sun or the stars, which makes it difficult to figure out where you're going and so on.
1: And no small tempest beat on us. <laughs> all hope that we would be saved was finally given up.
0: Yeah, so they, they've lost all hope. Uh, they they threw out the cargo, then they threw out the actual tackle from the ship, and, uh, and the storm is beating on us. So any impression that that nice warm breeze gave you at the, from the south? You know, like, uh, no, that's not the way it's going. It, it was going disastrously at this point. Okay.
1: But after... Keep yes, going. go on. But after long abstinence from food... Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss.
0: Yes. Okay. so he is there's a little bit of I told you so, you know, I mean, didn't he say back in verse uh, 10, there's going to be a lot of damage, loss of life. Uh, This is not going to go well. And so now and they they haven't eaten for a great deal of time. Uh, because they're worried about, you know, they only have so much food, and they, they don't know what's what's going on. They're stuck in a process that goes on for a long time, and they don't know how this is going to turn out. So they've been marshalling the little bit of food they have left. And then now he stands up and he says, well, you should have listened to me. But listen to what he says in the next verse.
1: And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship.
0: Now, wait a minute. That's a different message. Yeah, and that's that's encouraging, isn't it? You know, we'll be, we'll, we'll be trash, but nobody's going to die. That's good. Um, so there will be no loss of life among you. We will lose the ship. But you see back in verse 10, it said explicitly that there will be loss of life. Now, mm-hmm. Part of our topic that we're looking at tonight is the idea of providence. So Paul has a perception at the beginning that's going to be loss of life. But now he gets an update, and it said there won't be loss of life. Tell me about that, Paul?
1: Um, Verse 23. Thank you. For there stood by me this night an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you.
0: Wow. So what he's saying is that, you know, Paul has made an appeal to Caesar, and so the Lord sent an angel to tell him, You will appear before Caesar. That's going to happen. So you're not going to die in this storm. And God has given you all the people who are sailing with you. Now, we find out pretty soon that's a lot of people. Uh, In other words, because Paul's being protected, everybody on board is being protected.
1: Mm.
0: Okay. So he's telling everybody this.
1: Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms.
0: Now, why didn't they just sort of trust in God and just sail ahead? You know, it's a very interesting story to me about how God is intervening and sending various messages and so on, but they have to just take care of business. They got to figure, well, I think we're in danger. Things reach the time where we got to throw the tackle out, or here's what we have to do to deal with our desperate situation. Go on.
1: Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come.
0: Yes, wow. Mm
1: and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved.
0: Basically, what I gather from commentaries is going on here is that they were wanting to kill the slaves. They were wanting to escape and and leave everybody else on board, Um, and they were very worried about the... Slaves escaping because their lives would be on the line if they did. And uh, Paul confronts the centurion and the soldiers and says, you know, we're all in this together kind of thing. You know, we've got to stick together here or nobody's going to be saved. Go
1: on. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Mm. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing.
0: Wow. So for two weeks during the storm, they haven't eaten a bite. And this thing's been thrashing along day and night. They're not seeing the sun. They're not seeing the stars. Uh, they, they, they must be extremely hungry. And yet Paul is telling them, eat up. You know, let's go ahead. They, were, they had the break on for the food. Now he's saying, let's step on the gas. We, we can go ahead and eat the food. Go on.
1: Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment.
0: Ah, here's the verse. This is where we started. Okay.
1: For this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you.
0: Well, now, it's been a pretty interesting few weeks for them. You know, the idea that not a hair has been harmed or will be harmed on their head, kind of hard to maintain in the face of weeks of starvation. The ship is being trashed. They're throwing everything overboard. You know, there's life and constant life and death. And yet there's this divine message of of safety. Just the juxtaposition is is bizarre, isn't it? Go on.
1: And when he had said these things, he took bread. And And look at what he does. And gave thanks to God in the presence of them all.
0: Gave thanks to God. Now, I love that. There are a few different instances I'm thinking of Jonah in the belly of the whale. He thanks the Lord. I'm thinking of Daniel when he finds out that the other 122 members of the government were out to kill him. He went in his upper room and he prayed and gave thanks. Uh, it's a very difficult spiritual practice to give thanks when you feel like your life is, is toast and and you're just going by, the well, the angel of God appeared. Maybe you didn't understand the message or whatever. But Paul's really, no, we're going with this. Let's eat and everything. And he gives thanks to God. I don't imagine everybody was feeling quite that thankful. But, but, uh, but he had sort of taken over the leadership, hasn't he? Go on.
1: And when he had broken the bread, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Mm. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship.
0: That's a lot of people. Mm. So you can see why they're worried about the, f- the food supply or something, you got that many people on board. Uh, it's a lot of people who, who are at stake. Mm. Go on.
1: So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea.
0: Thank you for the wind effects, this yes. is just, yeah. just so wonderful. <laughs>
1: When it was day, they did not recognize the land, oh. but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship, if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meaning meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes.
0: Yeah, so you hear, heard what they did. They did just cut off the anchors. Now it's like, you know, like pulling your brakes out of your car while you're going down the highway, or something. It's a, it's amazing. Uh huh.
1: Um. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Okay,
0: so take off the brakes, turn on the gas, and let's just try to hit land, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to make land, because that'll be better than being out here at sea.
1: But striking a place where two seas meet.
0: I don't like that word, but, in there. That's Mm. mm, Okay, well, yeah.
1: They ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and Mm. remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Can
0: you see it? Just smash, smash you know, so that it's busted into, into pieces.
1: And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape.
0: Because the soldiers would face the same consequence that the prisoners should have faced if they let them escape. You know, that was part of the law back then. But...
1: But the centurion, wanting to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest some on boards and some on parts of the ship Mm. and so it was that they all escaped safely to land
0: yes safe is a relative but they were but they they were i mean they made made it. it they did they didn't get killed uh so and, and it turns out they're on the island of Malta and other exciting things happen there and so on. But um, quite an amazing and vivid, it's almost like Virgil's Aeneid or something. That's just a very vivid story. And, um, and this is the context in which you're told, not a hair of your head shall fall. It seems like a few hairs got a little ruffled in the course of this last you know month that they've been through here or whatever it was. Uh, so what does it mean? it's such a beautiful teaching and yet okay they were protected and they made it with their lives but did that it didn't save the ship ship got wrecked did it save the cargo no all the cargo's gone save the anchors no had to get rid of the anchors how about the tackle tackle's gone you know they're stranded with no ship on an island in the in the winter bad time to sail around I mean their situation is not exquisitely wonderful it's not like the hand of God came down and picked them out of the ship and carried them on a on a you know flying carpet to to Rome or, or someplace where they could be safe and among other people. Uh, uh, so you might be justified in feeling that the level of protection was somewhat inadequate or a little a little short of what you might like. You, know, you say every hair, you know, not a hair shall fall And yet, wow, it seems like that was a pretty exciting. Now you could say, well, they didn't listen when they were warned. You know, Paul said, I perceive. And they didn't lose the life that had originally been forecast to happen, that there was going to be a lot of loss of life as well. And yet Paul was in the same boat, yet they say in the same boat. He was in the same boat with everybody else, right? He's, you know, whether he was right or wrong, he's going to find out because they're all it's not like he said, Well, I'm going to go over here. Well, no, he was technically a prisoner and, you know, and the centurion needed to stick with him and everything. So let's go back now and have a look at some other passages. I want to go back to Genesis all the way in the left of your Bible. And we'll do a swing through certain passages. Rather than arrange these topically, I thought we'll just get them from left to right. But they all came to mind in the context of providence. What is the nature of divine providence? What's the nature of divine protection? Uh, how, how does this work? Uh, let's go to 22 in Genesis. Um, and I'm looking for verse 14. I mean, you know the story. This is Abraham and Isaac and, and God tempt, tests him. And says, take your only son, Isaac, and offer him up as a burnt offering. And uh, so then when he's just about, he's got the knife poised. It's a very dramatic moment in verse 10. Let's read from there.
1: 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. THE LORD WILL PROVIDE. Oh,
0: he named the place, THE LORD WILL PROVIDE. Huh, okay.
1: AS IT IS SAID TO THIS DAY, IN THE Mount OF THE LORD IT SHALL BE PROVIDED.
0: IT SHALL BE PROVIDED. IN THE MOUNTAIN OF THE LORD IT SHALL BE PROVIDED. THE LORD WILL PROVIDE. I THINK THIS IS ONE OF THE PASSAGES WHERE THE IDEA OF PROVIDENCE COMES FROM. And it's interesting that there's some, some similarity there that Abraham is put in this terrible crisis situation where God has ordered him to sacrifice his, his only son. Uh, his only, I mean, the son by his wife, he, had, he also had Ishmael. But uh, it seemed like he was going to have to kill him. And then it turns out everything was okay. And the Lord provided something else. He provided this ram. The Lord will provide... Uh, you might have thought, well, how about providing a nicer situation before I even had to get my son on the altar and traumatize him and everything else. But that doesn't seem to be the nature of the Lord's providence. Uh, But the Lord did provide. Uh, Let's turn to the right. Uh, Go to Genesis chapter 50. There's another classic passage about uh, providence. You may remember the story of Joseph. We studied that a while ago in Bible study. And um, Joseph was very much mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery. Actually, they wanted to kill him, but they decided not to. They sold him into slavery. He went down to Egypt. Then he got imprisoned. He was there for a long time. People forgot about him and everything. And, uh, and then finally he got out of prison and uh, became second only to Pharaoh in the whole land, and was able to save everybody from famine. And then, when Joseph's father was dying, uh, his brothers were very worried about this. You know, they like they kind of treated him in a criminal way, and so they are really worried about what would happen. Maybe, maybe they maybe Joseph hadn't killed them all yet because out of deference to their father or something like that. Uh, and so. They went to him, and they told a lie, actually, verse 16, in chapter 50. Did I say that? Chapter 50. Oh, okay.
1: So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph.
0: Which is not true. It's, he didn't make any such command, as far as we can tell from the text. They just seem to be making it up. But it sounds good. It has the authority of the father and everything.
1: I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin.
0: (laughs) Isn't that great? So I I know he he sent this message really, really. I I, I know he didn't communicate it to you directly, but he did tell us to tell you, oh, please forgive your brothers. You know, there's nothing self-serving in that, is there? Forgive Uh, them and their sin.
1: For they did evil to you.
0: Ah, well, there's a bit of a confession in there, right? Okay, (laughs) they did evil to you.
1: Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke Mm, to him.
0: Joseph was a nice guy.
1: Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? And here it is. Drum roll. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive.
0: Yes. Isn't that fascinating? So there's a very clear statement about providence that, that even though the brothers meant harm to him, they meant to either kill him or just get rid of him. As far as everybody was concerned, Joseph was dead. Good riddance. He would had those annoying dreams and everything and, and uh, just get rid of him. But God meant it for good to bring to pass a situation that was in place where he had, Joseph saved many, the whole area, the whole wider area, not just the land of Egypt, but all around there. Uh, he had saved so many people. And this is a picture of Jesus coming into this world and saving so many people. And think of the crucifixion. There's people there who definitely meant the crucifixion to be harm against him. And yet the Lord was able to turn that to, to good and to be transformed by it. So that's that's a really important, The Lord's providence doesn't mean that people don't intend evil. It doesn't mean that they they don't try to do evil things. It just means the Lord will provide. There will will be some good as well that goes along with the rest of it. So that's another great uh, providence passage, is it not? Look at Exodus 19. I love this very much. Okay. Now you may have heard of the children of Israel interesting group of people and they were uh, in slavery in Egypt and then they were led out in the wilderness. They complained bitterly because they were thirsty all the time. They were hungry all the time. They missed all the good food they used to get back in Egypt. Uh, they, they, they just were a very unhappy group and the Lord tried to lead them away where they could get directly in the Holy Land and they, most of them didn't want to do it. And so they wandered for 40 years all over the place. And look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 3.
1: And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself.
0: Now wait a minute. When did he bear them on eagles' wings? Sounds kind of smooth and exciting. Like, whoa, you just picked me up on eagles' wings and flew me right over here. That sounds great. What they thought they were going through was starvation, hunger, getting killed off by the Amalekites. <laughs> you know, uh, all all kinds of mayhem. Sometimes they were all bitten by serpents, and you know, and, and tens of thousands of them died. And uh, this was what the Lord describes as just being carried on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. <laughs> the Lord's view is a little, he says in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord, as my ways are higher than your ways, so are my thoughts than your thoughts, and so on. They, uh, he looks at things a little differently. You know, what we thought was like a hell ride in the wilderness, he said, was this gentle, I brought you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Very interesting, different perspective. So you see why this would come to mind in terms of this, this horror story of, of, you know, nightmare at sea. And it's described as not a hair of your head shall fall. You know, you're fine. Everything's good. I've got this one. Interesting, huh? Okay, let's go to 1 Samuel. So turn to the right. You go through the rest of the five books of Moses and Joshua and Judges. Ruth, get to First Samuel chapter 14 um, all the way toward the end um, verse 44 oh there was a the, everybody was forbidden you you weren't allowed to eat on this particular day the king said nobody's allowed to eat until the whole situation's done and then the king's own son whose name was Jonathan, sort of rebellious name, and uh, he ate, he went and ate. You know, oh. uh, so look at verse forty-three.
1: Then Saul said to Jonathan, "Tell me what you have done." And Jonathan told him and said, "I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die." Saul answered. God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground.
0: Not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground.
1: For he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die.
0: He did not die. Not a hair falling equals did not die, right? Mm. Uh, Turn to the right to 2 Samuel, if we will. 2 Samuel 14, go from 1 Samuel 14 to 2 Samuel 14. Let's look at 2 Samuel 14. And uh, there's a woman pleading for her son. Okay, 14, verse 11.
1: Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son.
0: Mm, And what does he say?
1: And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground.
0: Okay, this is kind of a saying. I mean, he's not going to, you know, he's going to be entirely safe. Not one hair shall fall. He's going to be fine. Uh, Let's go over to 1 Kings, which is the next one to the right. And chapter 1. And let's look at um, verse 52.
1: Then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. Mm. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die.
0: Okay, there you have your... It's not one hair or die. That, that, that's it. Those are the two alternatives. Okay. Good, good, good. Oh, 2 Kings. So turn to the right to 2 Kings chapter 20. Now, you remember in Acts where Paul said, I perceive that there's going to be much loss of life. And then just 10 or 12 verse later, the angel of God appears to him and says, actually, nobody's going to die. That was reminiscent to me of this story about Hezekiah here. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1.
1: In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live.
0: Okay. Isaiah goes to him and says, thus says the Lord, you know, get your affairs in order. You, this is a sickness unto death. You are dying. That's it. That was the message from God. So how does Hezekiah react? Hezekiah was a good king.
1: Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying...
0: Oh, so he's not even really left the whole building. You know, he's just out in the middle court, just still walking out of the building. And the Lord comes to him
1: and says, Return and tell Hezekiah, the, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Wow,
0: in three days you're going to be fine. And then he says in verse 6.
1: And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Mm. Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered.
0: Look at that. And so it's interesting, the Lord didn't tell Isaiah how to heal it, but the Lord said, I'm adding 15 years to your life, and then Isaiah seemed to know to take the figs and put it on the boil, and Hezekiah recovered. Uh, so isn't it weird that in verse 1, the message from the Lord was, you're going to die, get your, get your life in order. And by verse 5, it was like, no, I'll, I'll give you another 15 years. You know, Now wait a minute. These are messages from, isn't that like the acts where people are going to die? Oh, no, they're not going to die. You're going to die, Hezekiah. Oh, no, you're not going to die. Or not yet. It will delay it for another 15 years. In response to his prayers in that case. Very interesting to me. Very, very interesting. Okay, let's see what's next. Let's have a look at Psalm 65. Uh, this is just a... Um, this, is, this is a beautiful psalm about... We, we probably won't read much of this, but um, you see in verse 4 that it mentions that we should be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. And uh, a bunch of things in here. You'll see in the New King James, I think, or in some of them, it says that this psalm is about the providence of the Lord. And you look from verse 9 on, it's about how He visits the earth. He waters it. Uh, you provide the grain. You make it soft with showers. You crown the year with your goodness. And, and so on. So that's a whole... The valleys are shouting for joy and singing because the, the Lord is providing these good things. And Psalm 104 is similar. We probably don't need to read. That's a longer sermon, but it's about the Lord providing good things. Uh, let's look at verse 27 there, just for fun. In 104. One, 104, verse 27.
1: These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, and they are filled with good.
0: Yes, filled with good. That's what the Lord gives. He gives that good, that goodness. <laughs>
1: Keep going. Mm -hmm. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Mm. You send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth.
0: Reminds me of a couple of Bible studies ago when we were talking about strength and how the strength fails and then the strength of the Lord comes in. Uh, So, you, you know, people are created and renewed on the face of the earth. Okay, let's go into the New Testament to Matthew. Chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, 5, verse 33, let's start there.
1: Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, nor fo- sorry. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Nor by the earth, for it is His footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King.
0: And what else?
1: Nor shall you swear by your head.
0: Your own head. Don't swear by your own head. Why not?
1: Because you cannot make one hair white or black.
0: You cannot make one hair white or black. Try as you may. You you can't make one hair white or black. Interesting statement. Don't swear by your head because you you cannot make one hair white or black. I hope to tell you the meaning of that. I may not get around to it, but that's a very interesting scripture there. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Verse 28. Let's start there.
1: And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both, bo- both soul and body in hell. Mm. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered.
0: They're all numbered as if there's a total count of the number of hair. How else would you know whether one hair fell or not? You have to have a count, right? Uh, All the hairs in your head are numbered. Uh, Verse 31, just to finish that out.
1: Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay, let's go to the Gospel of Luke. So go to the right through Mark. Get to Luke. I want to go to chapter 12. Oh, that's just a parallel passage. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. How about Luke 21? Luke 21. Where? Okay, let's start at uh, 16.
1: You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death.
0: They'll put some of you to death. Okay?
1: And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Mm. But not a hair of your head shall be lost.
0: Now, wait a minute. You said half of us are going to be whacked. I mean, how can you say not a hair of our head is going to be? How can you say that? Isn't that interesting? What it's pleading with us to understand, as hopefully this whole evening is doing, is that that expression of a hair of your head is not necessarily talking about something physical. You know, because if it says, you know, some of you be put to death, you'll be hated by everybody, but not a hair of your head will perish. What? It can't be literal. I mean, some hairs are sometimes damaged in the course of killing people. Uh, there shall not a hair of your head perish. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Let's go back. Uh, we already did that one in Acts. Hebrews. So go to the right, off into the epistles, about halfway between the Gospels and the book of Revelation is the Hebrews, the epistle to Hebrews. It's quite large. And we'll go to a favorite passage of mine back here in chapter 12 which I think explains a lot about what we go through in our lives. Uh, where should we pick this up? Uh, let's pick up at verse 26 in oh, 26. Hebrews 12.
1: Okay. Whose voice then shook the earth, but, how, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Mm. Now this, yet once more, Indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. Mm,
0: the removal of those things that are being shaken.
1: As of things that are made.
0: As of things that are made.
1: That the things which cannot be shaken may remain.
0: I think that's so profound to me because I think a lot of what goes on in our life, what was, what was Paul going through? What are all these people going through? There's a real shaking. You know, there's a crisis going on, right? We've read a whole series of crises. Uh, Why would the Lord allow, if providence is caring for everybody and not a hair of your head shall be harmed, why are people going through all this disaster? How could the Lord say, some of you are going to be killed, but not a hair of your head will be harmed? Well, what's he talking about? Well, look at what it says here, that we will be shaken, and yet once more, not only shaking the earth, but shaking heaven. And why is that? It's the removal of those things that are shaken as things that are made so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. It's a separation. There's so much about the Bible that's about this separation, about the separation of things that are temporary from things that are permanent or things that are earthly from things that are heavenly. Why does the Lord allow these storms? Why does he allow all these things, sicknesses and, and everything else? It, it's the removal of things that are shaken so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. In fact, it, it strengthens those things. There's a difference between things that are temporary and things that are permanent. And we go through the shaking to be, make us clearer about what the difference is. Let's read verse 28 there, shall we?
1: Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken.
0: It cannot be a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what the Lord's kingdom is. It's not a kingdom. People thought it was going to be a worldly kingdom. It was going to be earthly kingdom. That's a kingdom that can be shaken. They all come to an end, right? Uh, But the, the Lord's kingdom is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay, and that's what we're receiving.
1: So let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Isn't that
0: reassuring? <laughs> our God is a consuming fire. Yes, that's right. There are beautiful things in the Old Testament about that, um, that fire and the purification of the silver and all that, you know, the, 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 and the get rid of the, the dross, you know, the impurities and all that. Uh, our God is a consuming fire. Okay, that is the last of the passages that I want to read tonight. So now let's get to a little philosophy. So we read a bunch of passages there that have to do, some of them have to do with not a hair of your head will fall, and yet they're in quite dangerous or scary sounding circumstances, and it sounds sometimes like there's only two options. Either not a hair will be harmed or, you know, death. Death. Uh, that's it, you know, those are the only two two options. And so I've been thinking about this uh, conundrum and I want to tell you some of the things, I uh, imagine some of you are familiar with these, that Emmanuel Swedenborg says about divine providence. He has a whole book on providence. Recently I've been dealing with this chapter on providence in New Jerusalem's Heavenly Doctrine which is so wonderful, it's such amazing teaching in there. And uh, here are some things that I saw in that chapter. Uh, one is that The Lord distinguishes between what is permanent and what is temporary, what we might call what can be shaken and what can't be shaken. And the Lord is always moving. When when you think about it, if the Lord made it his primary aim to give us good health and wealth and good looks, he could probably achieve those things, couldn't he? If that was the whole purpose for our existence in this world was to get physical money and to have good looks and good physical health, I think he could probably do that. He'd probably ace that. But those are temporary things. They're important for our lives in this world, but they're only temporary. And divine providence, Swedenborg says, is always looking out for what is eternal. And we hardly know what it is. Remember that statement in Matthew 5? that said that, whoops, we lost our friends in Canada. Uh, the, uh, the statement that you cannot turn one hair white or black on your head. What that means in the inner meaning is that you don't know, even on the outermost level, you don't even know truth from falsity. You, we can't even tell. What, we don't even know what we're doing. We don't know what's good for us. We think, oh, but I really want this, you know. So what the Lord is trying to do is install these deep, permanent, lasting, magnificent values, values of compassion, values of humility, insight into truth, teachability, you know, the right things at the top of ourselves and the right things on the outside, get our priorities right. All these wonderful things he wants to do for us. And we're whining about, oh, but I want this nickel in my pocket, you know, um, we're thinking about something so minute compared to this eternity that he's dealing with, and his eye. Isn't it wonderful that he's looking at something that we know n- nothing about, and we can't even figure out what he's doing? We don't even think he's doing a good thing. Why didn't you just save us from the from the storm? That's what we really would have liked, you know. What does um, Eor say? You know, they give him a, a popped balloon or something. He said a trained bloodhound, you know, would be more valuable or something. Um, we think we know what, what, um, what would be more valuable, uh, but, but we don't. We don't even know what it is. So the Lord is quietly going around in our lives and building in us things that are permanent. Things that can never be shaken. Attributes of our spirit that will be ours Forever and ever. And we moan about, oh, but my foot hurts. You know, I want it to stop. Well, I know, sweetheart, you know, your, your foot hurts. So there, you know, I, I get it. That's no fun. But I'm looking at something else. You know, uh, the scale is just, we, it's hard for us to even imagine the scale that he's working on. The Lord is also working through our freedom. There was this ancient Greek concept, and the Greek was called ananke. It meant necessity, and there was this ancient Greek view, pre-Christian view, uh, that there was an absolute necessity, and everything that unfolded just went the way it absolutely had to. I mean, you could translate it fate or something. You know, it's just like that's your fate. You can't you can't change it. It all has to unfold. It is written. It will just unfold the way that it is. But we don't see that in these stories. The Lord says, "Oh, you're going to die. Oh, you prayed. Oh, oh no." well, that's not necessity. I said, oh, people are going to die in the shipwreck. Oh, no, they're not. You know, the Lord is adjusting to our freedom and to circumstances. So it, it's not set in stone. There's an amazing passage in New Jerusalem's heavenly doctrine where it says that the Lord has certain things that he wants to uh, kind of install in us if we're willing, paraphrasing, uh, but he doesn't care what order they come in. Uh, if, we're, if we're ready for this, okay, we'll do that now. All right. You know, so now you're ready for this? Okay, fine. Somebody else wants to go in a different order? That's fine. Uh, the Lord is working within our freedom. It's not, there's often this sense that there's a divine plan and we're just morons because we can't tell what the plan is. We should have, you know, and maybe we blew it. How do we know we're still on the plan? I don't know. And we have all these cho- choices in front of us. That's not the way the Lord works. Very hands off. You come to a decision, you think, well, should I go to the right, Lord? Should I go to the left? And the Lord just says, hmm. I don't know. What do you think? And then we make a decision, and then the Lord works with that. That's how providence works. And uh, there's another theory going around that providence is only operative on the big picture stuff. Like, okay, let's have a universe. Let's have a spiritual world, and we'll create humans, and uh, I'll leave the details up to you. That's not how it works, Swedenborg says. Uh, the, The Lord's providence exists down to the minutest detail And I think that's some of what's involved in this image of the hair, not one hair. Every hair, you know, I haven't counted my hair. I have no idea how it is, but the Lord has numbered. He knows every single thing about us in in this physical world and and in heaven, in our spirits. Omniscience. He knows everything. Providence is over every single thing. And if it weren't, there would be utter, you think this is chaos, this is very orderly compared to the chaos that would happen if anything was left up to us for five minutes. Uh, The the Lord is interfering. I got this wonderful picture the other day when I was reflecting on this of, you know how when a kid is uh, all upset, they've got some object in their hand that they shouldn't have, you know, a dangerous sharp knife or something like that. And they know they really, really want it. And so you can't get... It's just a tug of war to try to take it away from them. So what you do is you get some... Oh, look at this red pen, you know. And then they, and then they sort of forget, and you take it out of their hand while they, they're thinking about the red pen. Well, the Lord's doing that trick to us a thousand ways every minute of our lives, you know. Uh, in fact, we're even taught that some of the main things that we con- concentrate on, you know, like our whole focus is going into. I wish I could just, you know, and. The Lord's happy with that focus because while we're concentrating on this, He's doing all kinds of operations on us in, in the background on what we're not paying attention to. fixing stuff up. So I got this picture of walking through your life and everything you pay attention to, you have freedom about and the Lord allows you that freedom. But everything else you're not paying attention to, He's free to just go to town. So He's fixing it all up. I read years ago in what Swedenborg writes that the reason that we sleep at night is because... There's no way that our bodies could sustain the damage we do to ourselves by being conscious during the day. And so there has to be a certain share of time where the Lord puts us back together at night so that we're ready for another day. Because, you know, we're children of chaos and that's what we do to ourselves. The providence is, if we could see it, we would be absolutely flabbergasted at what's going on. That doesn't mean there's not storms. That doesn't mean there's not difficult things. It doesn't mean there's not death or sickness or, 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 tra- or, or people going to hell or whatever. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things. But the Lord is constantly rescuing to the furthest limit of what our freedom will allow, what we are receptive to. And this is why our own freedom is so, so important. So we feel a lot less safe um, than we are. Uh, the, the Lord actually has us very well in His hands. Uh, the third point I wanted to make was just about what that hair represents. What is that hair? What is that hair? The hair of the head. It doesn't say toenails, you know? It, it, it doesn't say some sort of, you know, hair on your arms or something like that, you know, just some, something. It, why is it hair on your head? It's interesting. I heard the other day I I was reading up on um how they do this mineral testing on your hair and your the hair that comes out of your scalp actually you know it's inside like it's inside your your head you know and and it comes out and it passes through so it's surrounded by your bloodstream so it's got a sort of video of what you've been eating for the past 2 months is in there and uh it's amazing how it comes from within and it comes outside the hair corresponds to the outermost things, the outermost reflections of the deepest part of ourselves. Uh, And let me talk a little bit about our heads. Uh, We think very much these days in terms of head means sort of cerebral or thinking or whatever, and heart uh, means our our love, our our will, and emotions, and so on. Uh, That's not the way Swedenborg interprets it. Uh, Yes, the heart means emotions, and the lungs mean thoughts, but you have both of those also represented in your head with your cerebrum cerebellum. And um, your head corresponds to your will. It's, it's like the part of you that leads you. You know, it's your it's where you live. It's, it's where your consciousness, where your soul dwells and everything. And so a hair of your head is that outermost manifestation. Generally hair, you know, has to do with truth. Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, when the Lord is pictured like in the book of revelation when he has this white hair um that means the outermost truth of scripture that's what the lord's hair is you know when we're dealing with scripture all night we've been sort of ruffling our fingers through the lord's hair here this is his hair this is the outermost and it comes right from his head from his love and wisdom uh, but it's the way it manifests on the outside What I think the lesson is from this hair, what this hair represents, it's definitely something on the outermost level of us. And what I think it means is that um, not a hair, obviously our physical hair is sometimes damaged or sometimes falls out or goes away entirely or whatever. Uh, What the Lord is talking about, he's talking about our spiritual life and spiritual death. Not a hair of your head shall be harmed. That's life. And it's that versus death, the spiritual, spiritual death. And the spiritual life is that if, there, if you have ever brought anything of love or compassion or truth in the course of your life out into this world, if anything has come out of your head into, you know, out of your head into the world so that it affected somebody else, if you've done a kind deed, if you've said a nice thing, you know, if you've created something or written something or, or designed something or done, done whatever, it's just the work that you do, uh, embodying those qualities of love and compassion and truth, if any of that has ever been manifested from you, the Lord protects that. He protects every hair, He knows every single time. He has counted every time you've done something nice. He's so happy about every single hair. And he will not allow one of those things to be harmed. You will keep every single one of those with you. Not a hair on your head will be harmed. Every single act of manifesting love and compassion and truth in this world will be preserved And that will give you spiritual life because the Lord will not allow a single thing uh, to be taken away. You know, uh, the other side of that is that if there was never love, if there's never kindness, there's never, you know, like you didn't have any love in your heart, you didn't have any faith in your mind, and and you didn't manifest anything like that, uh, then unfortunately that spiritual death is the other side of the equation. but i think that's what it means that not a hair of your head will be harmed i think it's also depicted in the fact that not only paul is going to be okay but everybody who's with him you know it's 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 not only that innermost part but it's also all the just, just the slaves the people who know nothing about it you know every you're all under the same blanket of protection because if there's love and compassion there then every single thing that radiates out from that is going to be protected and preserved forever by the Lord. So the, the punchline is that the Lord protects and safeguards even the smallest amount of love, compassion, and truth that we have manifested in our earthly lives. Thank you, good friends. I'm sure you join me in a closing prayer. We were even physically unharmed tonight, weren't we, so far? so far so good our lord and savior jesus christ we thank you lord god for your divine providence your careful loving invisible hand over all the events of our lives down to the least seemingly most meaningless detail we realize however lord god that this does not stop the wind from blowing it doesn't stop the storms of our lives the storms in our hearts and minds It doesn't prevent some shipwrecks from occurring and us being stranded all winter on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Uh, Your providence is with us as we go through this journey. We thank you for the messages from your word that not a hair of our head will be harmed. When we see it in the true spiritual light, you have got us entirely protected. We turn ourselves over to your care, Lord God, We thank you for your protection. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we may know we are protected.